Good morning, Randy. How are you doing? Good morning, Arrow. I'm really well. Thanks, buddy. Boy, how did you get the, 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 the guts to put out this book? Because there is so much information and so much shock and awe in it that it's like, give me some more. Give me some more. <laughs> I've got friends who've been staying up all night finishing the book. It's that compelling. How did I get the nerve to do it? Hey, it's all true. Yeah. That's a great defense about anybody who may be offended by it. Hey, it's true. You can't sue me. And I think the world, well, obviously from the reaction, the world loves to hear the truth behind the people they've watched on television their whole lives. Yeah. The book we're talking about is TV Inside Outs, Flukes, Flakes, Feuds, and Felonies. Celebrities being, you know, you know, misbehaving. That that seems to be the, the, the accepted. But at the same time, things are kind of changing a little bit these days. Well, they sure are. That's the Me Too movement and, uh, you know, Harvey Weinstein and all that has put an end to some of the stuff that is written about in the book. Uh, you know, Bill Cosby's insanity, Johnny Carson's womanizing, Bob Barker and the models. I mean, that stuff doesn't uh, isn't tolerated as it once was. Thankfully, I'm happy to hear it. But uh, this is a study not so much about, you know, the gossip, who, who's sleeping with who and who did drugs and all that. It's really not about that. To me, I was a psych major in college, and, and it's fascinating to me. Fascinating how people, you know, uh, if you ask somebody what would make you happy, well, most of us would answer the money. I want a lot of money. <laughs> and, and, and fame. Give me, let everybody know that I can get the best seat in a restaurant. Well, the problem is you get yourself on television, you get a lot of money and a lot of fame very quickly. Well, geez, you should be happy, right? Well, in reality, you end up complicating your life. It gets more and more complex. And once you get money and fame and you're not happy, well, geez, what do you do then? Yeah. And that's when people that's when people jump the rails. Well, I've always been fascinated with the stories after they've had their fame on TV, because all of a sudden they, they now have to deal with being a used to be. Didn't you used to be? Didn't you? And, 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 and having to deal with that blank space is a tough walk. Yeah, yeah. If people, you know, snapped to attention and got you, you know, your favorite uh, glass of water, you know, I, I'll give you a quickie. I worked on The Nanny for years and years yeah. with Fran Drescher, you know, ah, The Nanny. Lovely lady, lovely lady. But they had a great parade of guest stars uh, come through that show, which was wonderful to work with them. But uh, Elizabeth Taylor came to town and uh, she needed her dressing room painted a certain color. Not just pink, it had to be a specific shade. She had to have a certain bottled water, and her dog needed a different brand of do uh, bottled water. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, it's, it's, and she's only going to be there for three days, you know, and, and uh, a paint job and linen and, and all sorts of stuff had to be done for accommodating her. Uh, it must be tough, though, when people don't want to do that for you anymore. That's got to be crazy. But on the other hand, where there are so many stories of, of that, you know, of filling the void once you're no longer famous, there's the other side, which is people like Dick Van Dyke, 97 years old, happy, got all his marbles. I, and I sign right now if you told me I'd be lucid at 97. Uh, <laughs> and he's he's uh, he still dances a little bit every day. But talk about somebody who's totally grounded and happy to talk about the, the past, but not living in it. And he just lives day to day, a happy life fulfilled. What else could I possibly ask for? Mary Poppins, the Dick Van Dyke show, right. everything I ever wanted to do, everything I ever wanted to do, I've done. How wonderful and lucky I am. Wow. That's a whole different story from some other people. Wow. Thanks to Antenna TV and Me TV and, and the HD efforts. I mean, I've gotten the opportunity to see uh, Mel Blank in a situation that many of us didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. Now, you're talking about Jack Benny and Mel Blank? Yes, yes. 
Yeah, yeah, because that's a fascinating story. Mel Blanc did all those cartoon voices. Well, most of them. He didn't do all all of them, but he was the only one that got credit because he wanted a raise. And Warner Brothers, just as cheap now as they were then, and most of the studios are always watching the bottom line. They said, we won't give any more money, but we'll give you credit, voice characterizations by Mel Blanc. And some of the other people who do some voices were upset with that. But the the primary person I got the information from was June Foray, who was uh, Rocky from Bullwinkle and Rocky and yeah. uh, so many other great characters that we know. And she was like, no, I had no issue with that at all. Mel was the master and that was his his domain. And they loved working together. And to hear the stories of voicing those cartoons live, you know, nowadays, not everybody's in the same studio. That's it. And they're all, you know, zooming in or whatever. Or they, you come in and you lay down your stuff and then someone else comes in later and lays it down. They did these things live. There was no there was no tape in those earliest days. There was no audio tape, never mind videotape. And they would, you know, cut this stuff to a film uh, soundtrack, which is an optical system as opposed to tape that we know. And they would perform these shows, these cartoons live. So you had uh, some stuff with red pencil marks and other was blue because you had to change your voice. So if you're Mel Blanc and you're doing, you know, Bugs and Daffy at the same time, you're really doing Bugs and Daffy at the same time, jumping wow. from one to the other. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, you know, that, being a voiceover actor, I, it's very tough to even to do that, to, to pull something like that off because you're switching gears so quickly. And if you get, if you get yeah. vocal burned, that's it for you for the day. That's right. And you know what? He used to save Yosemite Sam for Fridays. Yeah. And he, he used to rip his voice out, you know, and uh, that was Fridays. And he was dead for the next, you know, for the next day. There was no working. Uh, so that was the one accommodation made for him about when to do which characters. Would you would you ever want to be a part of a, of a of a PR team that when when you know that your actor or your talent is is doing something wrong and now you've got to get in there and clean up the mess? It's just another acting job. Yeah. That's all it is. Isn't it now? Isn't it? Isn't it? The same yes. thing. Yeah. <laughs> so Desi Arnaz and the Mafia. Why have I never heard this story before? And, and why have I never made such a connection? It's amazing you haven't heard it, but most people haven't. It's part of the congressional record because the guy who, who sang and told the story told it to Congress. Uh, it was uh, one of the mafia members who, uh, you know, turned state's evidence and went into the witness relocation program. The story is, you know, how could Desi Arnaz be in trouble with the mafia? Well, it's simple. Desi was a producer in addition to, to playing Ricky Ricardo mm -hmm. and uh, his company, Desi Lou, produced a show called The Untouchables, which was based on a best-selling book at the time, which was all about the mob, the mafia, prohibition and Al Capone. And uh, the book was out and Al Capone's widow, May Capone, was very upset about it. But when she heard that Desi's going to do what? A TV show based on the book? Well, Desi first did a pilot. It was a one hour show and it aired in a program called the Westinghouse Playhouse. And she saw it and hit the roof, called Desi and said, you will not do that show because my husband's name has been dragged through the mud quite enough already. Mm. You know what's good for you. And Desi, you know, with that, uh, uh, you know, Latin uh, hothead kind of temper, yep. if I can use that, you know, kind of a stereotype, uh, said, hey, if I don't do it, someone else will. It's a best-selling book. I bought the rights. I'm doing the show. So she dragged him into court for a million-dollar suit because wow. she felt that she was defamed. You can't sue anybody for telling the Al Capone story. You know, it's a story. It's it's true. It's a public record. But she felt she was being uh, unfairly portrayed. And the, uh, the, uh, the court threw her out. It, it's a true story. If you come off in a poor light, that, that's an issue of, of reality, you know, if that's how you see it. So she sued Westinghouse and Desi and Desi Arnaz and Desi Lou and got thrown out. Next step to her was to call her son. Because listen to this. Who knew it? 
Desi's, when he first came from Cuba, went to school in Miami and was in the same school with Al Capone's son. Oh, wow. Who would have thought? Yeah. So you remember me? We went to school together. Please, my mom is crazy about this. Don't do the show. I'm doing the show. Next one, a call from May Capone to Sam Giancana. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh, boy. Watch out now. Now you're in the major leagues, right? And Sam Giancana dispatches Frank Sinatra. Now, I'm not making all any of this up. This is congressional record, okay? This is available for anybody. Giancana sends Frank Sinatra to talk to Desi. They meet in Indian Springs, which is near Palm Springs, California. And they have a few drinks and a good time and a good talk. And when Frank turns to, hey, you really don't want to do this show if you know what's good for you. He throws him out of the house. No. Throws him. And Frank, Frank gets on with Giancana and said, he threw me out of the house. I can't do any more. Giancana calls May, May Capone. And May Capone pushes the button, as they say, and they put out a hit. No. And uh, he, and when uh, if, uh, when the when the mafia turned state evidence, his quote to the uh, government was, "He never knew how close he got to being clipped." Wow, and that's true. So, uh, and the, the guy was Jimmy the Weasel Fratiano. I mean, this was a well-known mafia member. He named who was going to actually do the hit, and two weeks after the hit being placed. Thankfully to Desi, it was called off. Now, why did they call it off? He did the TV show. It went on for seasons and seasons. They called it off because the mafia didn't want, it was way too high profile. They didn't want to be known as the, the organization that killed Ricky Ricardo. Never mind Desi. They didn't want to be thought of as killing Lucy's wife, Ricky Ricardo. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you put a book together like this, I believe that writers have their own voice and you have your own speaking voice. Did the two collide in any way when you were putting this book together? Well, as, as a voiceover actor, performer, you know, as, as a radio personality yourself, you're used to telling stories in a, in a verbal way, you yeah, know? Yeah. And all I did was write down as I was speaking. I mean, I didn't read into a tape recorder, but the style of writing is me just weaving a tale and telling a story, you know, a raconteur, you know, just kind of telling the tale around the fireplace and everybody going, wow. Because I've told these stories at cocktail parties and people are just fascinated. I stopped telling them because it, it just became me telling a story all night. But... Uh, I went back and vetted these stories with people who were on the sets with these people and, and uh, uh, nobody has come forward and said there's any you know <laughs> disparagement or it's all true. It's all true. And to me, again, it's fascinating. Again, money and fame, you think life would be free and easy and that's when it first gets complicated. Wow. So who's worse, the talent or the entourage? <laughs> the entourage is easy to sign up, size up because they're they're just looking for scraps. Yep. They're looking for whatever can be had. So their motivation is pure talent. You never know what's going on. They want more control. They want power. They want this. They want that. Red Fox doing Sanford and Son. He wanted more than anything else to have more money and to have a dressing room with a window. He had NBC going out of their minds because they didn't have a room with a window. And then they decided even if we had one, we're not giving it to him. Oh, Screw him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because and, and why did they not like Red Fox? He's bringing in ratings, that's for sure. But uh, he was also doing mounds of coke. Oh, God. Uh, at, the at the table read, he'd be doing coke in front of the entire, you know, writers and the cast and everybody. And when they were doing Sanford and Son, that was in Studio 3 at NBC. And in Studio 4 was Flip Wilson. And one of the writers was uh, Richie Pryor. Oh, and wow. the, coke, the coke went back and forth and back and forth. And it went out of control the day that all coked up out of his mind that uh, Red Fox pulled a gun on an NBC executive. Mm. 
And the second call was to Norman Lear, who'd been saying, you know, I, I've created a monster with this show. I wish I didn't have to deal with Red Fox. In fact, Norman Lear stopped dealing with it and handed it to his partner, uh, 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 Bud, Bud Red Fox, a tandem production partner, Bud Yorkin, that's the name, I'm sorry. He handed it to Bud and Bud was like, had the patience of a saint dealing with it. But eventually when NBC said, if you're done with him, we are too. And that's when you started to see episodes of Sanford and Son without Red Fox. Wow. And eventually the show was canceled. Wow. To hold this this wealth of knowledge, it's like now we want to see the pictures. We're all going to jump back onto the flat screen to watch these shows in a different way. But are you going to create something for Netflix or Hulu or some streaming network with all this information? No, no, I, I've not been approached and I'm really not interested in getting that deep into it. I mean, yeah. I have a career, I have a life uh, and, you know, that would require me to be, you know, whole hog 20 hour days for months on end. I mean, it's a lot of work doing it. I've, I've known all too well how much goes into producing a show and how many sleepless nights there are. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just happy to write a book. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not looking for fame and money because I know what that brings. Uh, I'm just looking to have a happy life and tell some stories and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's all good. It's all good. I've had a great career, uh, you know, as a, uh, on, you know, off camera and on camera talent as an announcer on game shows and sitcoms and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm very happy. I'm one of the few people you'll meet in, probably in Burbank or anywhere near zip code that, uh, is fully satisfied with their lives. How did you deal with the executives? Because, you know, as as the talent and the ones that are really taking a chance with our gift, uh, the executives tend to make decisions that interfere with where we want to grow. How did, how did you personally have to deal with that? You swallow, uh, you swallow what you need to swallow to get the job. So true. Uh, you know, would I rather be somewhere else doing something else? No. Well, what's it going to require me to stay here? I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's just a very conscious, uh, simple decision. You know, and if you, of course, if you're living out of your head, some wacky place with an ego that's out of control, I'm not doing that. Well, I can't believe that people actually say that. You get in the play in the toys, you know, in the yeah, toy store. What's the admission? All right, I'll pay it. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations on the book, TV Inside Out: Flukes, Flakes, Feuds, and Felonies. And listeners need to understand this: this is a book that is really not only entertaining but informative. And I love books that get inside the imagination like that. Thank you, Arrow. Thank you so much. Please come back to the show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you, Randy. I appreciate that. I'd love to. You bet. I'd love to. You be brilliant today, okay? Thank you. You too, my friend.